Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1. Now, we're going to be looking at a lot of different uh, scripture today. I will be uh, taking us there, but uh, this, this will be our background. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, now let me explain. Luke and Acts go together. When he refers to uh, the first book, he is referring to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for these moments of worship that we have had. We thank you for your word, sacred scripture, your word to us, down through the generations, ancient but modern, because it speaks to hearts of all ages. And we pray that our hearts would be those that are open to you and that your spirit would teach us, encourage us, draw us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over Christmas, uh, a movie came out which was a new version of an old movie, Sherlock Holmes. And... It reminded me of the uh, account where Holmes and his uh, associate, Dr. Watson, had gone camping. Uh, It was night. They had a big dinner around uh, the campfire, and then it was time to go to sleep, time to turn in, which they did. They went to sleep, and a a few hours later, Holmes woke up. He nudged his friend, and he said, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson was groggy, but he looked up. He said, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that mean to you? course, Watson pondered for a moment. He knew there had to be a lot to this question. And he said this, he said, well, astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that uh, Jupiter is in Leo. 
Horologically, uh, I deduce that the time is about 3.15 in the morning. Theologically, see that God is a great creator and we are very insignificant. And meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes was silent for a moment. And then he spoke. Watson, you nut, some scoundrel stole our tent. (laughs) It was the same evidence with a different conclusion. The same evidence with a different conclusion. And one of them was right, and one wasn't. When it comes to the resurrection, this passage says that uh, Jesus presented himself alive by many proofs. And yet, there are those that will look at that evidence and come to different conclusions. Because of the importance of the resurrection to Christianity, there have always been those that have come up with theories as to what really happened. In other words, saying there was no resurrection. I want to give you five of them very quickly. Uh, One is to discredit the documentary evidence. Uh, To look at the Gospels and to say, well, these were not honest men. Uh, These accounts are fake. And yet, the accounts stand to this day. The integrity of the men has been shown over and over and over to be impeccable. And the historical facts and agreement causes them to remain to this day. Then there was the the swoon theory. Some said that when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't actually die, but he swooned, they took him down by mistake off of the cross, they put him in the tomb thinking he was dead, and then uh, after they sealed it up, the coolness of the tomb actually revived him. He was somehow able to get out, and then he made his appearances and the story uh, got bigger and said there was a resurrection. Just tons of problems with that. For one thing, those uh, soldiers, when they came to him on the cross, they said he's already dead, but just to make sure, they thrust a spear into his heart. These were men who understood and knew death when they saw it. Even if he had been put into the tomb when uh, alive, when he, he walked around, There was no indication of a limp or dealing with any kinds of wounds or anything like that, which certainly there would have been someone who had been through that, but rather he walked as he always had and yet with wounds and so on. The next three we'll actually deal with uh, uh, to some degree in our message. The fraud theory, that is that the disciples stole the body 
And then they hid the body, and then they circulated a rumor that uh, he was resurrected. The mistake theory, and that is that uh, women went to the wrong tomb. They accidentally, in their grief, uh, uh, went to an old tomb that was deserted, and they found it empty, and so they started this rumor, and so on. And then the vision theory, that the appearances uh, of Jesus were just a bunch of hallucinations. That assumes that the disciples expected him to rise from the dead, and it makes Jesus guilty of deception. Now, these are all interesting but implausible I think we'll see. Now, think about this for a moment, though. If you were in a position of wanting to prevent a fake resurrection, in other words, to, uh, you, you knew that there was a, a statement out there somewhere that he's going to rise from the dead, what would you do? What would you make sure so that nobody could fake it? Well, I would suggest you do at least uh, these three things. One is that you would see that the body is placed in an easy-to-find location so we can show people the body whenever uh, they begin to talk about the resurrection. Secondly, you would guard that body. You would make sure that uh, nobody could get to it and steal it and so on. Then thirdly, you would produce the body when questioned, parade it around, put a stop to that rumor. The first two were actually done. They put the body in an easy-to-find location, as we'll see, and they guarded it. The problem was the third one, producing the body. So what does the the Scripture indicate happened then during that time? What are the proofs of a true resurrection? Remember the text, it talked about these uh, many proofs. Now there are certain things that God expects us to believe just because He says so. This is true, we are expected by faith to step out on faith and to believe it. When it comes to the resurrection, the central doctrine of Christianity, he could have very easily done that. And yet, instead, he chose to give us many rational proofs that this actually took place. In fact, it is more attested to than most of the things we take for granted in our history books. One historian said it is uh, the best attested fact in history. Now, you may not want to go that far, but there are numerous uh, observers and studiers down through the centuries that have looked at it uh, from an objective perspective, many of them from an unbelieving perspective, wanting to disprove it, that have come to the conclusion that there is no explanation except that a resurrection took place. Edward, Sir Edward Clark is a, was an attorney. 
He said this, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. Well, let's look at uh, the evidences. First of all, let's take a look at uh, the tomb after Jesus' death. Now, not, not after the resurrection, but after his death. What, what took place there at, at the tomb? I want to read to you from Matthew 27. In verse 57, it says this, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, were there sitting opposite the tomb. Well, there goes the mistake theory right there. They were sitting, watching what was going on at the tomb. Not only that, how easy it would have been for someone to find the tomb if they had made a mistake. Joseph was a well-known man. You could have asked him. You could have asked anyone in his family, where is that tomb that he had cut out for himself where they laid the body of Jesus? You could have asked their friends. Those were things that were commonly known, and yet it was the right tomb. What'd they do? Well, they put a great stone, it says in Matthew, in front of it, In Mark, it says, an exceeding great stone. In fact, in Mark, it records how when the the women were going to the tomb in order to finish preparing the body for its permanent burial, they were were trying to figure out, how are we going to get in? That stone's too big. They saw it being put into place. They knew they couldn't move the stone. And so you have uh, this tomb in a well-known place uh, with a big stone in front of it, and then it was sealed, Matthew 27, 65. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Okay, this would have been an official thing that uh, they would have done. In order to seal the tomb, what they would do is to take a cord or a string And on one side of uh, the stone, they would have put sealing clay. And they would have put the cord through it, and it would have dried up around that. And then they they would stretch it. And on the other side, they would put more of that sealing clay. And so that they would know if anybody uh, ever got in there, it was an official act to ever open it uh, was a, a dangerous thing to do. And then the guard was put there. Now, why did the guard get there? Well, Pilate granted it. Uh, We see in Matthew 27, again, the next day, after the day of uh, preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Okay, you got these religious groups. They're upset, and here's why. They said this, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, 
while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise. Now, see, they understood, uh, you know what? It, this is a dangerous thing. We've got to make sure that nothing happens here. Therefore, it says, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud would be worse than the first. So you've got these religious people appealing to, to Pilate. Um, think about that, though. If you're going to if you're going to start a religion, if you're going to uh, start a movement, you better not say, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again in three days unless you're going to do it. Because it's easy to check. It's easy to check out. And if you don't do it, then your movement's over in three days. It just won't go anywhere. If you make a big, bold statement like that, and then you don't do it. Now, what did they mean by a guard? Uh, that's not just one guy. Typically, it would have been at least four soldiers uh, there. And I have to put myself in their head and, and think, either they thought, boy, this is going to be an easy night, or, or they might have thought, I guess we got no future as soldiers because they have put us at, at a tomb of a, a, a dead person and all of his followers ran away. So this isn't exactly a prestigious place for us to be. But they probably thought this is going to be easy. But they would have four soldiers there and guarding it was a serious thing uh, to make sure that you kept up with uh, what you were to do. Now, let's think about the tomb later on. We read in uh, Matthew 24, it says this, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Why were they going? To put the spices around the body because he's dead. That's why they were going. They weren't expecting an empty tomb. They found the, uh, the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So it's the stones rolled away. It's an empty tomb. Listen to what uh, William Lane Craig says. When therefore the disciples began to preach the resurrection in Jerusalem, and people responded, when religious authorities stood helplessly by, the tomb must have been empty. The simple fact that the Christian fellowship founded on belief in Jesus' resurrection came into existence and flourished in the very city where he was executed and buried is powerful evidence for the historicity of the empty tomb. You see what he's saying? He's saying, look, um, all they had to do once the disciples started preaching that uh, Jesus is alive all they had to do is to stand up next to uh, uh, the apostles and say, okay, look, you can believe them if you want, but come with me. We want to show you the tomb and we want to show you the body of Jesus and then that'll put an end to what they are saying. And it would have. That would have been that. They said nothing. They couldn't because the tomb 
was empty. And then the grave clothes are there. Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. In the Gospel of John, it says the handkerchief from around his head was folded together and it was sitting in a separate place. So here's the scene. They look in the tomb and they see the, the cloth that he was uh, uh, wrapped in and it's just laying there. Now look, if he got, got up and left, it wouldn't be laying there. If, uh, if others came in to steal the body, why would they leave it certainly like that? If soldiers were guarding it, it would have been a mad scramble. And, and instead, we see this peaceful scene where the body had somehow come out and where the head covering was over here folded up. Incredible scene. And then... We look at the guard's story, and i, I got to admit, I love this part uh, in Matthew 28. It says, while they were going, behold, verse 11, uh, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Here these guys had messed up, basically. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers You think these guys were incredulous? Wait a minute. We lose the body and they're paying us? Why? Well, they told him to say this. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, here's the problem. This wasn't even a good story, (laughs) you know. I have to think uh, little boys could come up with a better story than this of what what really happened. Because here's what they're saying. We were at our post as Roman soldiers, and we fell really hard asleep really hard but it was the disciples that stole him away you see the problem I mean there's all kinds of problems one is soldiers admitting they fell asleep that that all four of them fell asleep and then secondly if you were that asleep how do you know who stole him away But they knew it was the disciples. Well, it's a silly story. And yet it says they passed it around. You know what that tells me? Some will go to all lengths to deny the resurrection. It doesn't have to be a credible story. There were people that would believe that story and not ask the second and third question about it. Because they didn't want to believe the resurrection. And maybe there's some of you here like that. Where you're saying, look, I I don't know what happened. I guess i got to believe that story because I don't believe that there was a resurrection. But the other thing it teaches us is how powerful uh, self-preservation is. 
those soldiers would, they'd do anything to uh, keep their life. And the religious people who were afraid of losing their power would do anything. And maybe that's where you find yourself. You know what? If I, if I break down and I admit that there was a resurrection, then the rest of my life is going to change because I can't keep going the way I'm going, pretending like there was no resurrection. What about uh, the other evidences? Well, you have the appearances. We read about those uh, in our uh, confession of faith Today, from 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about appearing to uh, uh, Cephas and then to the Twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom who are still alive. By the way, if you're going to make up a story, don't make up one where people can go check it out. You know, this, that, that's the kind of story you want to go across the world and say, yeah, over there in Jerusalem, somebody rose from the dead. Um, too bad you can't go check it out. But, but Paul instead said, look, he, at one time he appeared to more than 500. Go talk to them. They're still around, most of them. Ask them if you don't believe me. And then he, he said uh, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all to Paul. You add to those appearances Mary in the garden, the women by the wayside, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Thomas, the seven disciples on the seashore. Maybe it was hallucinations. Well, here's the problem. Typically, uh, hallucinations don't take place in various places, the same hallucination, with various kinds of light, with different size groups, small groups, individuals, large groups, two people together, uh, and all the same hallucination. And the other thing is, hallucinations usually take place when you're expecting to see something. Like, like someone who, uh, say, loses a son in the war, and they're informed of it on a certain day of the year. And then every year after that, they see a hallucination of that son. They're expecting it. Uh, and that wasn't the case with any of them. Mary and the women were going to the tomb not expecting it to be empty, expecting it to have a body in it. The, the men didn't even go because that wasn't their work or the, anything that they were concerned about. The disciples on the seashore were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. Those are not people expecting to see a resurrection. If you're going to fake a resurrection, you don't do it where people can check the story out. The, another evidence is the enemies of the gospel. When the disciples began to preach, we talked about this earlier, the gospel and the resurrection in Jerusalem, the very city, the very city where he was killed and buried. All they had to do was to get the body paraded around the city and that would have been the end of Christianity, period. 
it would have gone nowhere without a resurrection. One historian wrote, the silence of the Jews speaks louder than the voice of the Christians. You know what the only response was? They didn't even question when, when they said he, he, there was a resurrection. They didn't question that. They didn't say, no, they got their facts wrong. What they did is they said, quit preaching. And then the next step when they wouldn't quit preaching was the great persecution. We will stop them from preaching. It wasn't a debate over whether he was resurrected or not. And then the transformed lives. After Jesus' death, you had a bunch of followers that were convinced that Jesus was not the expected Messiah. They said, I guess he wasn't who we thought he was. They all spread out. They ran away. They were huddled in a room, afraid. What changed them? They became, that disillusioned band became a band of men and women that turned the world upside down. The beginning of a movement. What changed them? They went to their death saying, it was because Jesus is alive. Now, lots of people will lie about big things. But not all of them will go to their death professing that lie. We don't have any record, any evidence that any of the apostles, most of whom were martyred, ever went back on that story. They went to their death following a risen Savior. And then there's the church, and here we are, a long time later. And there are lives in this room that have been transformed because of the risen Savior. The disciples didn't have any incentive to start a church or to start a movement. It was going to be bad for them, and it was hard, and they died because of it. If the story ended at the grave with a dead leader. They had no incentive to go further. But it didn't end there. And we continue to this day and every Lord's Day celebrating the resurrection. So what happened? Here's what really happened. After the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. 
Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so, it is left for you to decide. Will it be self-preservation? Will it be the truth? That the king is alive for his people. Let's bow together.